Good Monday morning. Tensions on the rise across the Middle East. An American warship now involved. Good morning. It's December 4th. This is today. Breaking overnight, a U.S. Navy destroyer shoots down drones being used to attack ships in the Red Sea, drawing the U.S. deeper into the crisis while Israel widens its war against Hamas. Stepping up the offensive in Gaza and warning more civilians there to get out. We're live on the front lines with the very latest. Washout, heavy rain and even snow causing problems and delays for tens of millions up and down both coasts. Al's got the full forecast. Out for revenge, newly ousted Congressman George Santos now threatening to file complaints against members of his own party. Republicans facing more infighting on Capitol Hill and on the campaign trail with the first presidential contest just six weeks away now. This morning, former Congresswoman Liz Cheney weighs in on her party's future in a live interview. Cause for concern, air traffic controllers pushed to the brink, staffing shortages leading to mistakes and close calls. Southwest aboard, FedEx is on the go. Even controllers falling asleep on the job. The eye-opening new report this morning and what is being done to improve safety during a busy holiday travel season. Those stories plus who will it be in a Today exclusive, we will reveal the finalists for Times Person of the Year. Today, Monday, December 4th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. Nice to have you along with us at the start of the week. And boy, what a game last night. Big upset for the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm thinking Simone might think she's a good luck charm here <laughs> at Lambeau Field. Uh, great job by the Packers. Uh, yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about on that. Also this morning, guys, we're keeping an eye on the messy commute in the Pacific Northwest. Millions of people under flood alert. Some regions set to face double-digit rain totals by the time this is all said and done. Al's got what you need to know to start off your week. But we will be began this morning in the Middle East, new ripple effects being felt far beyond Gaza. U.S. defense officials now confirming to NBC News the USS Kearney warship shot down three drones heading toward it off the coast of Yemen. An Iran-backed group is claiming responsibility, saying it was a show of support for Palestinians in Gaza. Meantime, Israel is warning residents to evacuate southern Gaza as its ground forces prepare to move into the region. Got it all covered. Let's start with NBC's Keir Simmons. Keir, good morning. Savannah, good morning to you. Fingers pointed at Iran again this morning after a U.S. warship reported hour after hour of missiles and drones in the strategically and commercially critical Red Sea. U.S. Central Command saying there's every reason to believe the attacks are fully enabled by Iran. This morning, renewed fears of a wider escalation of the war by Iran-backed militants. A sustained attack reportedly over seven hours on shipping in the Red Sea and an American destroyer, the USS Kearney, drawn into the fighting. In a video address, Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen claiming responsibility for some of the attacks, saying it was a response to the war. U.S. Central Command says three ships connected to 14 nations were involved. The Kearney detecting threats to the other vessels and responding, shooting down three drones, including one headed in its direction. It's unclear if the American ship was a direct target, but three commercial vessels were hit, some sustaining limited damage. 
Last month, Houthi rebels posted an edited video, faces blurred, seizing an Israeli-owned ship. The threat to crucial commercial shipping in the Red Sea is just one strand of the spiralling tension in the region. For more than a month, US forces in Syria and Iraq have faced drone and rocket attacks by Iran-backed militia. Iran is capable of escalating the conflict, put pressure on both the Israelis and the United States. Iran's foreign minister meeting his counterpart from Amman over the weekend, declaring the US must bear the consequences of the genocide and war crimes in Gaza and the West Bank. Meanwhile, three defense officials telling NBC News the US military struck a drone stage site in Iraq. They say five individuals were preparing an attack. Some were killed. Responding to those accusations of genocide, last month, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said what Hamas wants is genocide. They want to wipe Israel off the map. Meanwhile, Savannah, this morning, Turkey, an ally of the US, its president aiming more fury at Prime Minister Netanyahu. All right, Keir Simmons on this breaking news. Thank you, Keir. Let's move now to new developments overnight in the Israel-Hamas war. Israeli forces now expanding the offensive across Gaza, pushing further south and ordering new evacuations in that region. This as U.S. officials push both sides to restart negotiations. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel joins us now with more. Hey, Richard, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. The chief of staff of the Israeli military overnight said that operations are now beginning in southern Gaza. And from what we can hear, they are clearly intensifying. The chief of staff said they will be just as powerful as they have been until now in northern Gaza. Israel is now focusing its military campaign in southern Gaza, where many Hamas leaders and fighters are believed to have fled. Israel has dropped leaflets with maps dividing the Gaza Strip into a grid and has been telling Palestinians to move from one quadrant to another for their safety. But so far, Gazans don't seem to understand the maps, don't have internet connections to read the QR code, or simply aren't listening. Gazans complain they've been corralled into the south and are now under attack. The Biden administration has urged Israel to be more precise. A senior U.S. military official tells NBC News he was taken aback by the ferocity of Israel's renewed campaign that has seen Israel attack apartment buildings. The the United States urged publicly, repeatedly, Israel to do more to avoid civilian casualties. Do you think, are you listening to that? Have you taken that on board? Absolutely. We're very attentive to the administration and from a military to military perspective, we are constantly engaging with our American counterparts. There is no fairy godmother that will make Hamas disappear. In the southern city of Rafah, our crew followed volunteers digging through the night at a home they say was hit by an Israeli strike. They find a few survivors and at least 14 bodies. Rafah is on the Egyptian border. Gazans can't go any further south than here. Nearby, Hanan Bayouk and her husband Fatih live with five other families. When she was pregnant with triplets, Israel allowed Hanan to leave Gaza to give birth in Jerusalem. But when her permit expired, she had to go home, just before Hamas attacked and Gaza was completely sealed off. We found her babies at a hospital in East Jerusalem. Doctors tell us they're developing well. We managed to connect Hannah and her husband Fatih on a video call for a precious peek. Sabah al-khir, sabah al-khir. Just as Najwa was waking up. 
The war separated us as a mother. I wish I could hug my girls, Hanan says. Attempts at a ceasefire are for now deadlocked, with Hamas saying that it will not free any more hostages unless Israel stops its military campaign. Israel saying it won't stop bombing unless the hostages are released. Hoda. All right, Richard Engel for us there in Israel. Richard, thank you. Also this morning, ousted Congressman George Santos is vowing to file ethics complaints against his former colleagues in the wake of his historic expulsion from the House. And in the meantime, House Republicans are moving toward a vote on a formal impeachment inquiry of President Biden. We've got two reports. We'll start with NBC's Ryan Nobles. Ryan, good morning. Savannah, good morning to you. And there is no doubt that the George Santos scandal was a major distraction for lawmakers on Capitol Hill. The fallout from his short time in office continues at a time when Congress has a lot to get done. George Santos may be gone. Congressman, what do you say to your constituents? But he isn't going away quietly. Gotta get out of my way. The man who last week became only the sixth member of the House of Representatives to be expelled says he plans to file ethics complaints against his ex-colleagues that led the charge to get him out. Among them, Staten Island's Nicole Maliotakis. We know that George Santos is a serial liar. I mean, he's obviously scorned since being expelled. It's unlikely those complaints go anywhere. But the vote that led to his removal revealed deep divisions within the GOP ahead of a busy sprint to the end of the year, where Congress is hoping to pass several important pieces of legislation, including aid to Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan, as well as a border security package. Those negotiations are making little progress. So instead, House leadership is focusing on something else. We have a duty to pursue the facts where they lead. The impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden is already well underway, with Republicans accusing the president and his family of corrupt business deals. But so far, they've produced no hard evidence to back up their claims. For his part, the president has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. That inquiry was launched without a vote under former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But now Republicans are having trouble enforcing high-profile subpoenas of witnesses like the president's son, Hunter Biden. They acknowledge a formal vote would help move that forward. A formal impeachment inquiry vote on the floor will allow us to take it to the next necessary step. And I think it's something we have to do at this juncture. The move to formalize impeachment comes as the right wing members and Speaker Mike Johnson's ranks are getting increasingly antsy. His leadership is not conservative enough. And the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said that he plans to put the supplemental aid package on the floor perhaps as early as this week. But if it does not include a border package that some Republicans can support, it likely cannot pass. Savannah. All right, Ryan, thank you. We turn out of the race for the White House Republican frontrunner Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis holding dueling rallies in Iowa over the weekend. That first in the nation contest there now just over one month away in the next Republican debate just days away. Hallie Jackson, our senior Washington correspondent, watching all of it. Hallie, let's talk about Iowa. The, the votes are, I can't believe it, six weeks away. You've got Donald Trump still far and away the front runner there. DeSantis running that kind of traditional Iowa, Iowa campaign and Nikki Haling showing a little bit of momentum. That's right. And there's a real big question here, Savannah, as to whether that traditional Iowa playbook is actually going to work for Ron DeSantis here. The governor was in Iowa this weekend. He hit all 99 counties, which you may remember, very symbolically kind of a big deal in Iowa. It shows, as Ron DeSantis is hoping to show, that he's committed to the state. He's trying to make that case. He's playing to the home crowd by pledging to move the agriculture department from D.C. to Iowa if he wins. But 
the numbers just aren't there for him right now. If you look at where the polling is, based on our latest NBC News Des Moines Register polling, Donald Trump is dominantly leading in Iowa. I mean, this is a stomp, Savannah. You can see it, 45% there. And Nikki Haley is surging also. She is now effectively tied with Ron DeSantis in the state of Iowa. So here we are, a month, six weeks away. We're getting closer and closer. And there still has not been that Republican consolidation behind a candidate not named Donald Trump. That's a good thing if you're on the Trump campaign, Savannah. Well, let's talk about the debate. Uh, it, it's for later this week. But once again, Trump won't be there. So is it relevant? Well, I mean, listen, that's a question for the voters to decide. Donald Trump is already focusing now and turning his attention toward the general election. That is how confident he and his team are. He's going to be at a private fundraiser. So there won't be like a public counter programming event like we've seen for the last few debates. But he will be trying to raise some money behind the scenes. At least that's the expectation as he is looking more toward President Biden. You saw that even this weekend in Iowa. He really didn't get into the the, the battle with Ron DeSantis, although he did call his campaign like a wounded bird, essentially. Instead, he's trying to flip the script here. He's trying to go after President Biden for being dangerous to democracy, even though, of course, it is it is Mr. Trump who tried to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 election. That is something you've heard Team Biden focus on moving forward for the debate itself. Listen, tiny, tiny stage. NBC News, based on our analysis, thinks it's probably going to be Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and that is it. So it is going to be an opportunity for those three candidates to have a lot of speaking time. But the question you asked at the beginning, Savannah, is it relevant? Listen, the ratings have dropped for all of these Republican debates so far. We'll see. Bottom line, though, we are getting closer with Iowa uh, creeping up quick. All right. Hallie Jackson, thank you very much. 714, a lot more to get to. Say good morning to Craig. Hey, Craig. Hello, Savannah. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. The border crisis is intensifying once again this morning amid an overwhelming new surge of migrants. To deal with the influx, starting this morning, U.S. Customs and Border Protection is temporarily closing a key crossing in Arizona. It's a strategy that's already in place in parts of Texas NBC's Morgan Chesky joins us from Eagle Pass. Morgan, good morning to you. Yeah, Craig, good morning. And amid this legal border back and forth with the state of Texas versus the Justice Department, the number of migrants arriving here at the southern border simply undeniable. And now with crossings closed, both in Eagle Pass and Arizona, the biggest question of all, what will it take to stop this latest surge of migrants? This morning, Texas and Arizona feeling the brunt of what authorities are calling a new border migration trend. The numbers are increasing. They really are. New groups of migrants arriving so rapidly, federal authorities are temporarily closing the remote Lukeville port of entry in Arizona. The Border Patrol there reporting more than 17,000 arrests in just the last week. And those numbers rising as temperatures drop, leaving migrant men, women and children in perilous conditions. Tatiana Vera from Ecuador sharing she could barely sleep during the frigid desert night. <laughs> Meanwhile in Texas, migrants facing another danger. A number of people struggling to cross the Rio Grande had to be rescued as the debate over state rights on the river rages on. A U.S. appeals court ordering Texas Governor Greg Abbott to remove the thousand-foot floating buoy barrier installed to keep migrants from crossing. The governor calling the ruling clearly wrong, promising to go all the way to the Supreme Court. Another federal judge also denying Texas the ability to block federal border agents from cutting through state-installed razor wire. The ruling coming amid reports migrants became trapped while trying to cross. And it's not just southern states coping with the influx. Chicago released its latest numbers Sunday, reporting over 13,000 migrants in 26 active shelters. 
the city building temporary shelters to protect even more from wintry weather. Now, it's an international crisis that I inherited. And so the work, of course, is ongoing. Um, winter's coming fast. Now, back here in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott has already promised to appeal those court rulings, saying he'll take them as high as the Supreme Court if needed. Meanwhile, in Arizona, both state senators and the governor are blasting the Biden administration, calling these temporary closings unacceptable and demanding better solutions. Craig? Morgan Chesky there in the Eagle Pass, Texas. Morgan, thank you. All right. It was a wet weekend for tens of millions across both coasts and the rain. It's not over yet. Al joins us. He's in D.C. with the first check of the forecast. Hey, Al, good morning. Hey, guys. Good morning and good morning to you. We've got some wintry weather for our friends up into New England. We're looking at winter storm warnings, winter storm watches as this storm system pulls away. It's bringing in a lot of snow. We'll probably see another uh, four to six inches of snow, especially as you get into down East Maine, Central Maine as well. Now, out west, we've got uh, we've got 10 million people at risk for flash flooding, river flooding, urban flooding. Some of the higher peaks could see 12 inches of rain. It's going to be just this atmospheric river of rain that continues to pour in. It's going to be bringing in more rain. In fact, today, the heaviest parts are going to be Washington State. But then as tomorrow moves in, we get Oregon into parts of this. And then we've also got the threat for avalanches there by Wednesday, that rain moves into central and uh, northern California. Heavy rain continues in the Pacific Northwest. Gusty winds of up to 40 miles per hour. Again, the Olympic Mountains could see 11 inches of rain. The Cascades, 6 to 9. Along the coast, 3 to 6 inches of rain and some heavier snow as you get into the Cascades. Snow levels above 9,000 feet. That's your latest weather. Big warm-up on the way. We'll have that coming up in the next half hour. All right, we'll go to that, Al. Thank you. Uh, Coming up, a troubling new report right in the middle of the busy holiday travel season, shining a light on our nation's air traffic controllers. NBC's Tom Costello's got that story. Hey, Tom. Good morning. So we've been reporting that air traffic controllers are overworked. They are not getting enough rest. They're exhausted. And now some are reporting colleagues have turned to drugs and alcohol, even falling asleep on the job. Savannah. All right, Tom, we'll wait for that. And then an annual tradition. We're about to reveal the short list for Times Person of the Year. It's like the college football thing. You could be surprised at who's on, who's not on the list. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, on a Monday morning, this is Today on NBC. It's uh, 7.30 on a Monday morning, just gazing out at that beautiful <laughs> Norway spruce right across the street. Three short weeks wow. until oh Christmas. Oh, my gosh. What my I- heart just went <laughs> into my throat. What do you mean three weeks? <laughs> three weeks. That's what we got. Oh. No gifts. Okay. Uh, bought one. No, not you. You haven't bought any gifts? No. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Plenty of time. Actually, yeah. I just saw a thing for last-minute shoppers, and I'm like, it's like December 2nd. How is that right. last-minute shoppers? Not yet. Shopper? But not okay, yet. we're getting there, though. Got a busy half hour ahead. We'll start with the spotlight on our nation's air traffic controllers. Yeah, there's a report in the New York Times highlighting overworked, exhausted controllers. Some claiming colleagues have used drugs and alcohol, even falling asleep on the job. NBC's Tom Costello covers aviation force. And Tom, you've been telling us for years about the, the shortage of air traffic controllers. Yeah, that's right. And as a result, this is a nationwide problem and controllers are working mandatory overtime, right? 10 hour days, six day weeks. Many of them go online and they self-report their mistakes and their close calls. But now we have isolated instances of controllers also reporting substance abuse and falling asleep on the job. 
It's a high stakes, high pressure job. And 2023 has been a year of close calls involving both pilot and controller error, including this one in Austin when a controller cleared a FedEx plane to land just as a Southwest plane was departing. Southwest aboard. FedEx is on the go. One big problem, controller fatigue. 77% of air traffic control facilities are understaffed, leading to mandatory overtime. Medical issues forced Neil Burke to retire this year. We're tired of working six days a week. We're tired of working 10-hour days. NBC News has obtained internal FAA documents first reported by the New York Times, detailing controllers' own anonymous reporting of mistakes and exhaustion. Among the entries, many employees can be observed sleeping on the job. If I had not been fatigued, I may have been able to recognize the aircraft lined up for the incorrect runway sooner. And I pray no one dies due to controller fatigue. Also included isolated cases of controllers using alcohol and illegal drugs while on position. One claimed a colleague regularly smoked marijuana on break. Another said a controller bragged about making big money buzzed. But with more than 10,000 certified controllers on the job, the new FAA chief says substance abuse is very rare. We monitor for drug and alcohol use very closely. We have robust reporting and we follow up on every possible lead that comes in. Still, both the FAA and controllers union say overtime fatigue is real. You're missing your home life. You're missing your kid, your kids' ball games and your spouse's events. Uh, and it does have an effect. Controller Michelle Hager left last June. That is not a sustainable lifestyle to be working that hard at a job that requires so much mental focus at all times. We're working every day to make sure that the the system stays as safe as it has been for decades. We're not letting down our guard and we're working that issue hard every day. So some, some troubling revelations there, Tom. Any idea how the FAA yeah. plans to address these problems? Well, to begin with, this is a years-long problem. This goes way back before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, they had to close the academy. So they got really behind trying to keep up with retirees. They hired 1,400 retirees this year. Sorry, 1,400 controllers this year. But because of so many people retiring net, they've only got eight more controllers than a year ago. So this is going to take years to actually work through And by the way, the washout rate in the academy is about a third, 33 percent. Don't make it through. All right. Tom Costello, force there at Reagan National Airport. Tom, thank you. All right. Well, coming up, former Congresswoman Liz Cheney will join us. The Republican and outspoken critic of Donald Trump has much to say in her new book about her party, its direction after January 6th, and most crucially, what all of this means for our country. We will sit down with her live. But first is today exclusive, your first look at the short list for Time's Person of the Year. And let's just say there is a very wide array of choices this year. Coming up right after this. We're back 739, an annual tradition time, your exclusive first look at the short list for Time's Person of the Year. Yes, Chanel joins us now. I'm going to do the honor. Good morning. Good morning. Every year since 1927, Time has selected the man, woman, group, or concept that's had the most influence on the world, for better or for worse. And for more than a decade, today has revealed the top contenders. So, without further ado, in no particular order, here are the nine names on the 2023 shortlist. The shortlist for Time's Person of the Year begins with a trio of world leaders. First up, King Charles III. 
God save the king! His crowning moment came in May, after a decades-long wait for the throne, and at a moment of change for the UK monarchy. I shall strive to follow the inspiring example I have been set. Russian President Vladimir Putin continued to wage war in Ukraine. Now in its second year after the full-scale invasion, and Chinese President Xi Jinping, who is serving an unprecedented third term and solidifying his role as one of China's most powerful and controversial leaders. Next on the shortlist, 2023's biggest newsmakers. Sam Altman has made countless headlines in recent weeks for getting fired and swiftly rehired as CEO of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, which is leading the AI revolution. Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, also on the shortlist. Powell faced with the daunting task of managing record inflation here in the U.S. Next, the Trump prosecutors, the team that led the first ever indictment of a U.S. president in our nation's history. Trump is facing more than 90 charges across four separate cases. The shortlist now moves to Hollywood and the strikers that brought the entire industry to a standstill. Actors and screenwriters were on strike for most of the year before reaching a deal pushing for better pay and working conditions. Also on the shortlist, Hollywood's newest, It Girl. The live-action movie was the highest-grossing film of the year, earning $1.4 billion and causing an explosion of, well, all pink everything. Then finally, global superstar Taylor Swift. The Grammy Award winner has had a monumental year, re-released albums, record-setting streams, and her Eras tour, on track to become the highest-grossing global tour of all time. It's going to be think Taylor. so? Yeah. Taylor. I wouldn't be surprised oh, no. if they chose Taylor. The, the issues would happened. fly off the shelves. Yeah. Swifties would buy it. It's Taylor. Yeah. Taylor Swift. Hmm. Heard it here first. Well, guess what? Well, we'll see soon. Okay. Yeah. You can make your prediction, by the way. Yes, you, you can, can make your prediction. You can go on today.com. Yeah. You can vote for who yeah. you think it yeah. will be. I think that's interesting. And then tomorrow, no, Wednesday. Wednesday. Today's Monday. Yeah. Wednesday, we will have the exclusive reveal of Times Person of the Look Year. Look forward to it. it. All right. How about another check now. of the weather? Mr. Roker down in D.C. for us. Hey. Hey, guys, good morning. As we mentioned, Pacific Northwest, there's a high flood risk. It's going to be mild and sunny down through the southern and central plains. A few snow showers coming across the Dakotas. Light snow uh, will come to an end in New England. Some showers in the mid-Ohio River Valley and a few showers down in the Florida Peninsula. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you so much. Coming up, your morning boost is on the way, along with something special from NBC's Kaylee Harton. Come with us inside the game on the Today Show for a -a one-of-a-kind experience right here. At Lambo. <laughs> oh, we're back with our Inside the Game series. And this morning, we are taking you behind the scenes of Sunday Night Football. Oh, yes. Last night's game at Iconic Lambeau Field featured an exciting matchup between the Packers and the Chiefs and some very big names in attendance. Oh, yes. NBC's Kaylee Hartung had her eye on the game and in the stands. She joins us now from Green Bay. Hey, Kaylee. Hey, good morning, guys. A trip to Lambeau Field is a bucket list item for so many football fans. We talked to some Chiefs fans who drove as much as 14 hours to get here. Now, some of them may be leaving a little bit disappointed after the outcome, but I do not believe that the experience disappointed them. This was a thriller from kickoff to the final whistle. Star power stepping out for primetime at Lambeau Field. The Chiefs bringing a certain good luck charm to town. 
Karma's the guy on the Chiefs. Do you think Taylor Swift can help Will Travis Kelsey to another win? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, she does move mountains. You can be a Packers fan and also a Swift Yes, fan. always. <laughs> Taylor Swift fresh off Beyonce's film premiere in London, making the trek to the frozen tundra, arm in arm with Patrick Mahomes' wife, Brittany, to cheer on Kansas City and boyfriend Travis Kelsey. But cheeseheads were looking to shake it off with support from a golden girl of their own. Olympic champion Simone Biles, on hand to support her husband, Packers defensive back Jonathan Owens. The superstars, just two of the more than 81,000 fans rolling in for the big Sunday night football matchup. Bucket list stadium, most iconic stadium in the NFL. To experience game day in Green Bay and keep the Lambeau tradition alive of selling out every home game since 1960. How much a Chiefs Kingdom turned out for this one? A lot. There's a reason it's Chiefs Kingdom. But they're going to be sad tonight after we, we win this game on them. A house divided between this husband and wife. How long have you been looking forward to this game? 12 years. <laughs> Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes making his debut at Lambeau. But it was a love story for the Packers. Quarterback Jordan Love owning the night. He's got the duh Sunday night football, man. Feels great. And to add to the drama of the night, the final play of the game came down to Taylor's boyfriend matched up with Simone's husband. It looked like there might have been a little bit of a shove there from Jonathan Owens to Travis Kelsey, but on a Hail Mary, no flag was thrown. Let's just hope there's no bad blood there, guys. Oh, oh I get it. There, Kaylee, yeah. good. All right, there is with Craig. Wow. Yeah. Should have been a call. Okay. All right, yeah. guys, we know that Taylor loves the friendship bracelets, so we decided let's get on this train and we have some of our own bracelets. Right? I mean, so cute. Remember, we gave some like this to Mama Kelsey oh, yeah. and she wore it at the game and now we're giving them out on the plaza. Yeah. Give so, them out. Yes, if you come on the plaza in the next few weeks, we're going to be giving them away. So please Look stand by. Aren't they idea. cute? Wow. Keep safe yeah. forever and ever. Bring your own to trade with us. We're gonna get. We're gonna try to dig that friendship bracelet thing going. I love that. There. I love it. Let's keep it. Bring going. a toy for our toy drive too, if yeah. you think about it. All right, it. I love that. All right, still ahead, we will get to Hoda's boost. Yes, and Hoda's can't miss conversation with Oscar winners Julia Roberts and Mahershala Ali on their new thriller, putting family and technology in the spotlight. That'll be a good one.